If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you were to describe our culture today, how would you describe it? I would describe it with terms like fast food, customer comfort, seeker sensitive, feel good, always positive, or user friendly. We could pool our thoughts this morning together and we could come up with probably a whole lot of other descriptions for the culture we're living in today. And we've come to see that our culture is one that places truth is really only true to what their own guidelines are. We have fallen in love with the suave speakers who have charisma and energy. The people who are being listened to say something and nothing at the same time yet have a huge following on social media. Everybody is a professional. (laughs) People attach themselves to influential people simply because they sound eloquent or likable with really very little negativity against others. We live in a society that sees what the Christian church has to offer and turns to scoff and mock it. They look for every opportunity to dissuade people from being involved or associated with it. Unfortunately, in its own way, we as Christians have begun to buy into what the world is selling philosophically. We have turned standing for truth to permissiveness under the guise of I am being loving and understanding. And it leads to a watered-down message of the gospel truth. See, not only what I have mentioned already about our society, it has impacted not just as a church, but as individuals. Have you ever heard someone speak? Maybe you listen to someone online. Maybe you listen to or watch other preachers during the week, which is a good thing to do. I know I myself do that periodically when I'm traveling. But sometimes have you found yourself to fall in love with that individual more than the message that is being preached? And if anyone were to say anything negative about that individual, you get all up in arms about them because they're saying something against the individual that you revere? You know, periodically I receive emails from Christian resources promoting conferences that are filled with people that you've never heard of. Okay, actually, that's not true. When was the last time you heard of a conference, whether it be a business conference or a church conference type thing, where all the speakers were people no one's ever heard of? You don't ever see that. They were what? They're speakers that have been claimed to be eloquent and, and well-versed and, and all of those things. Because that's what's attractive. I'll be honest, there are times where I've picked a conference I'm going to because I know who the speakers are and what they're going to say and how they're going to sound. I'll be honest. But the topics very often times, and even in those topics, they have what the, the, the person who is the professional in that topic. As I've looked at different, uh, I'll go to different websites to see uh, what other church websites, or I'll go to see, and sometimes, I get, again, I get these emails even from business things, or when I'm looking for different uh, templates, or you, you see of these businesses, these big conferences, 
It's always the professional on that topic. This proves to be true both in Christian and non-Christian contexts, and churches have relinquished to using attractional models for reaching the community. We have seen the seeker-sensitive or the user-friendly churches who have allowed culture to dictate church rather than the truth of God's Word and the message of the cross. A successful church today is often associated with a more bombastic personality as the pastor. Someone who is a shaker and a mover. See, someone who is eloquent and easily followed. A preacher who is relatable. And trying to be relatable, unfortunately, oftentimes they forgo the meatiness of Scripture and they consistently stay on the surface level of God's Word, oftentimes missing what the text is really saying. See, the wisdom of man says all of this is what people want and need. The wisdom of man says that we need to, it, things need to be relatable. We need to, people need to enjoy coming to church and we need to do things to make them feel comfortable. When I was living out in Washington State, I wish I had the, the flyer from this church. I've never seen more descriptors of the culture of their church than this one. It literally was a paragraph of hyphenated words. And, it, and I remember reading it to Liz and she just laughed because it was everything and nothing all at the same time. But that is really what a lot of, in, in a lot of ways, churches are relegating their ministries to. It's the wisdom of man. It's what they see as, as understanding. And really in our passage this morning, we're going to see a comparison of the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man in the context of the Corinthian church. See, in our passage this morning, through the inspiration of God's Word, we will see that the church in Corinth was struggling with letting the culture of the day dictate their church life and culture. The passage we're going to be looking at, our passage this morning, is primarily verses 18 through 25. But I want, before we get there, I want you to look up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 there. Look up in verse 10. It says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the same, in the name of Paul? And look down, just jump down to verse 17 then. At the end of this paragraph, Paul is writing here, in the inspiration of God, and says, For Christ did not send me, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. See, in this text, there we're seeing here in the church of Corinth, there were divisions happening, and they were saying, I am of this person and this teacher, and I am of this teacher, and I am of this teacher. And culturally, that's, that's how they, they thought. In that culture, people would align themselves with a teacher 
a philosopher, a, someone who was educated, and they would follow that way of thinking, that, that, that teaching, and they would follow that person. See, Paul strongly desired for the cross to be preached lest it become empty. To speak the word of God in emptiness is to speak in a way that tries to persuade men through craftiness and cleverness of speech. It is this backdrop Paul comes to our text this morning and compares God's wisdom with man's wisdom in relationship to the message of the cross. The passage we're going to be looking at this morning, really, Paul is going and and really pulling out those and, and using those who reject the message of the cross as a comparison and to magnify God's wisdom and man's wisdom and really elevate the message of the cross. Our main truth this morning from this, and we'll see this this morning from our pastors, that confidently we need to confidently preach the cross because the cross powerfully defeats human wisdom. We need to be confidently preaching the cross because the cross powerfully defeats human wisdom. No human would in their own thinking dream up of a scenario for man's redemption as God did. Think about, think about the redemption story. Could have you come up with that idea? Probably not. Does it even make sense to you? And we're going to see that through this text. It didn't make sense. Does it make sense in our own wisdom and man's wisdom? It does not make sense on a human level that any God would go through something as humiliating as to the cross to save a people that hated him. It just doesn't make sense. And so our first point this morning is that the cross is foolishness to the perishing. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, the wisdom of the world is first a human wisdom. And human wisdom is a failing wisdom. And it's bound to perish Verse 18, for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. Now, God, God in his word is not saying that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But what he is saying is that to those who are perishing, the unsaved, the lost, it is foolish. That word foolishness has this idea of, of really the, the Greek word literally is where we get our English word moron. Fooly, foolish, fooly, that's not even a word. Maybe in some other language, but not ours. But it's foolish. It, it does, it, it's, it's, 
dumb. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, we'll see that the world's reaction to the, the perishing's reaction to the cross, to the preaching of the cross, is, is very repugnant. It's rebellious. It's arrogant. But the message of the cross is not foolishness to God, but to those who are perishing. And we'll look at the, the end of verse 18, really, will, is, will be our second point later on this, this morning. But the word of the cross speaks of really two different avenues here in, the, in, in our text. It says, for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing. And it connects with uh, the idea of the preaching of the cross. The word of the cross here is both content and the proclamation of the cross. <coughs> it's not just the, the, the proclaiming of it, but it's talking about the word of the cross here. It's talking about both the content and the proclamation of the cross. And so to those who are perishing here, this phrase is really those who are perishing and speaks to those who are in the process of being ruined or destroyed. It's not, a, it's not speaking of something that has happened. It, it, it's finalized. Because if, if, we, if it took that perspective, if you look at the text, then really there is what? There's no hope. These people are still living. It says, to those who are perishing. Just as he says at the end of the verse, he uses the same kind of language, says, but to those who are being saved. But this idea of perishing is those who are being ruined or dis- destroyed. The phrase here it speaks to a division, but not the division the Corinthians were actually dealing with. Really, it's a, there's a division here between perishing and those being saved. And so Paul emphasizes the unusual nature of the message. This message stands foolish, moronic, illogical. Paul's preaching of the word was not one of clever rhetoric that played to the emotions of the crowd. No, there are those in our world, in our society, in our culture, in our community that preach just to get to the emotions of those they're preaching to. That's what motivational speakers do. It did not look like or sound like the teaching of the sophist or what a sophist was in that era that during that is one who taught. They were the educated of the day. They were they were the those who uh, were intelligent. They're the philosophers. Paul's speaking sounded completely different from theirs. It didn't have the same sound to it, the same tone. In fact, we see this illustrated for us in Acts chapter 17 as Paul enters Athens. Remember when Paul entered Athens and he what? He what? He taught what he, he debated with the philosophers, with the sophists, with, with the, those who had believed in all these false gods and he debated with them and he's preaching the cross to them and they what? They had no idea what he was talking about. It didn't make sense to them. Paul even tried to use and used certain language that would try to help them understand. As he's preaching the cross 
And they still didn't get it. And the, and the text there says that when Paul left Athens, no one repented. They didn't believe the message of the, of the, of the cross. They saw it as foolish. Another point in, in Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 19 says, And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were become, becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, speaking of, of the gospel before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. The crowd there, they, they began, they didn't get it. They, re, they spoke evil of it. In fact, what happens later in Ephesus, while well, Paul is living there in Ephesus, a mob literally, in Acts chapter 19, literally comes, says, and here, I'm just going to read part of the passage. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made, and, and Paul was being used by God to perform some miracles. And Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. Because people were being saved and they weren't buying the idols and, and all these images. Verse 26 and 19 says, You see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will, be, will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions. There was chaos because of the preaching of the gospel. Think about our world today and honestly throughout history when the preaching of the cross is done, what typically ensues? There's a level of chaos in the society. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness to them. And the interesting thing about this passage as I was studying this week, look at verse 19. For it is written, and here Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. In Isaiah 29 Isaiah is given a warning to the nation of Israel. And in, in the verse prior to this, this is what the Lord says to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. It says, Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be concealed. 
The interesting thing about this, that the world sees the preaching of the cross as foolishness, was declared by God that it would happen, that God did it. God did it. This isn't something that just happens. Paul is saying that, that God said to the nation of Israel, he's bringing back up this, 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 what Isaiah said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And you compare it with, look at verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Because when by God, by God seeing this, and, and what does it do to God in the message of the gospel? It elevates it to what? It's all about God. If you and I could come up with a way of getting to heaven on our own, would God be the primary focus of that? No. It'd be all about you or, or another person that you have that came up with that idea. See, the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, is not what people are looking for. You know, you can't look at the news today without seeing there is a loud cry out there against biblical, the message of the gospel, truth. Sometimes they don't realize it. But there is a lot of it going on. Especially after over the last four, three, four, five days. I was texting with an individual in our church and they said, too bad I can't just get the sports news now because it's all full of other stuff on Twitter and social media. (laughs) We just wanted harmless sports to look at. But it shouldn't surprise us because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them. The perishing, they don't understand it. They don't get it. They see it as illogical. Why would a God, the God of heaven, the one true, supposedly one true God, send his son to, to literally be rejected? His own family members rejected him, tried to kill him. The whole nation that he was sent to redeem put him up on a cross. Even the nation of Israel, they didn't even see the unsaved, the perishing. They saw, saw what, what were they looking for? In fact, it says in verse 22, for indeed Jews asked for signs. They were used to seeing these miracles and, and God showing himself through these. They were looking for this sign. And the sad thing is, is the sign they got, they didn't want to see. They do not want to follow someone who is weak and cannot stand up for himself when people mock him and try to kill him. Now, we know that Jesus was not weak. But look at it from a human standpoint. Look at the life of Christ from a human standpoint. Was there anything about Jesus that you wanted to follow? That the average that you would want as your ruler? He's a humble carpenter. He didn't really have a home. For 30, for as, he, as an adult, he never had a home. He lived off, the, off of other people's generosity. He had these 12 people following him, but they were all a bunch of fishermen and others. One was a tax collector. Why would we want to be a part of that? 
And if we start looking at it from, a, from, from our, really, man's wisdom, from man's perspective, it doesn't make any sense. And Paul here in verse 20 continues on and says, where is the wise man? He uses these questions and he kind of points out different types of people in that, in that culture. He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Because of what God did, it actually makes them, the foolishness, our human wisdom look foolish. Because when we try to accomplish things, when we try to do it in our own wisdom, it falls flat. It falls flat. One commentator said, The cross is nonsense to some because it represents such a repugnant worldview. It is an assault on the values of power, glory, honor, and success so dear to Corinthian and many other societies. Is not our society very much like that? It's about the prestige. All the people that people want to listen to are what? They're the rich, they're the famous. All of those things. See, our wisdom and knowledge cannot compare to God's. We can't match wits with God. And Paul is saying here, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God in his wisdom knew that it was best, the best way for us to have salvation. And it wasn't through man's wisdom. It wasn't according to how man thought it should happen. But God in his wisdom knew exactly how salvation should come to the world. And God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message, the humble message of the gospel. No glitz, no glamour. It didn't matter how smart you were. But those who reject have this human mentality that, you know what, if I'm going to have success, if I'm going to have, they have to have self-sufficiency. They have to be about themselves. See, the message of the cross nullifies that. It nullifies the wisdom of man. Our world sees that there are many ways to God. Says the Greeks search for wisdom. They're about knowledge. And if you know anything about Greek culture, there were hundreds of gods. But were any of their gods anything like our God? They were selfish. Have you ever done a deep dive into Greek mythology? They're pretty selfish gods. They weren't like our God, really, at all. In many ways, they very much illustrated the Greek culture as a whole. They teach truths that only make sense to themselves. They make, it makes God, in their eyes, relatable and relational. They can understand a God who is not perfect. It makes sense that their God did not die for by dying. Have you ever tried saving someone when you're dead? It's kind of hard, right? Doesn't make sense. In fact, Paul in, chapter, in Romans 1 
teaches the truth that left to themselves, people cannot know or have a relationship with God. Because the wisdom of God is far greater than the wisdom of man. And anything that we try to come up with to save us from sin, to save, to have a, a righteous life does not compare to anything with the righteousness of God and the wisdom of God. It was God's wisdom that knew that man being saved through their own wisdom would be folly and it would not lead to knowing God. It pleased God through the heralding and the preaching of the truth that the message of the cross that people who believed are saved. Sorry, the message of the cross that people who believe are saved. It's interesting, this word preach. It's the, it's the word for heralding. So not only does the world see the content of the gospel, the content of the, the message of the cross as weird and illogical and foolish, but they also see the actual preaching of it as well. The word preach here is the idea of heralding. You go way back to medieval times. Well, how did they proclaim news throughout the land? Did they send an email? No, they didn't send emails. They didn't even have really anything to really mail, right? There wasn't even not, barely even anything na- nature of that. But a messenger from the king went with the authority of the king, stood in a town square, and yelled out, Hear ye, hear ye, and gave the message, the very authority of that king. And if, they, if that herald was hurt, they had to deal with a severe penalty because he came with the authority of the king. This is what we have been commissioned with. They don't, the world, man's wisdom does not see the heralding, the preaching, the proclaiming of the message of the cross as anything worth listening to. You know, some of you have been in Phil's class on James. And I know a few lessons ago, they dealt with James chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. This is how God in inspiration through James describes earthly wisdom. This wisdom that is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Does it sound like the world we live in? It does. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. You may be sitting in your seat this morning and are part of this perishing group. If you are, nothing you do will generate or deliver you a relationship with God. Your wisdom and understanding of life and even of God will not suffice. Your wisdom is, is empty. It's full of self-sufficiency and pride. And this morning you are hearing the message of the cross 
It may sound confusing and maybe even like nonsense to you. But through God's Spirit, it can be a message of hope and life for you today. God is rich in mercy and wants you to be his child. It is by his grace he has sent his son to die for you. It is the event of history. It would be the best decision you could ever make in your life, in the history of your life, to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe in the message of the cross. Submit your wisdom to his. For the believer, are you trying to live the content of the message in your own wisdom? Are you rationalizing the message of the cross? Are you relying on your own wisdom and even heralding the message? As too many Christians and churches have done. Or maybe you have aligned yourself with a teacher of God's word and and Really, you're more hero worship with that individual than you are really listening to the content of that message. It's not about a person. It's not about a philosophy. It's not about any of that, but it is about the message of the cross. Because the cross, our second point, the cross is hope to the believing. So far, it's been pretty negative. See, the cross is foolishness to the perishing. They don't make sense. But because God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom, the message of the cross is hope to those who are believing. You know, this good news, the difference between the two is really akin to proclaiming as good news that the victory has been vanquished, the market has collapsed, or the holiday has been canceled. It is only our familiarity that dulls the strangeness of Paul's message for us. This is what one commentator wrote. He said, In the most general sense, the Christ is the king destined to rule. To announce his ignominious demise is to brand him an utter failure and would hardly see, seem to constitute a gospel. It's what we've looked at. The, the, the world, the, the, uh, man's wisdom, just it doesn't make sense. It, it's like proclaiming good news as our economy falling apart. In contrast to the message of the cross, though being foolish, it is saving and powerful to the believing. Look in our text. We see that the message of the cross, message preached to save those who believe. So the message of the cross saves those who believe in it by faith. And then Paul says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. As the Jews are searching for a sign and the Greeks are searching for, for wisdom and understanding, in their, own, in their own methods. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. It, it, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Wow. Hope. Because the power of God and the wisdom of God is greater than the power of man and the wisdom of man. See, what is looked at as folly by man 
turns out to be the very place where God is powerfully at work. It's where God is at work. The work of Christ on the cross is effectual for all who are believing. One day the final salvation will take place as those who believe in faith will be with God for eternity. See, the message of the cross is unselfish. It's sacrificial. It's just. It's holy. It's loving. It's gracious. All characteristics of God. To the world, it seems empty. But we know that it's true. There's hope. Look at verse 24. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Our final verse here, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What does Paul say here? He goes back and says, God is better. God's plan is what works. God's wisdom is greater. You can have all, the, we can pull in all the smartest people and put them in this room today and they could not even match to the wisdom of God. There's hope for the believing because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And it is God's plan, not man's plan. So if the cross is foolishness to the lost and hope for the believing, how should that impact us today in our lives as individuals, as a church? We do not live in a society too different from the early churches we've mentioned this morning. Our culture is full of philosophy. It's a very philosophical world we live in. We're seeking our own logic and reason for life and the hereafter. Our culture and society is full of being magnetized to the attractive thinkings, the popular thinking, the famous. Unfortunately, all these are man-centered and culturally driven philosophies that have crept into the church. In your own life, are there things in your life that you've started to feel, have you noticed this morning, the Spirit of God's bringing to your life that you've allowed certain things about life to creep in to your heart and your mind and, and start to direct you in a certain way of living? We don't have the time to name all of them. But there's so many out there that just little, little snippets of it, sometimes we give into those things. Eventually it becomes a bigger thing. See, people in their own wisdom seek something that is self-gratifying, self-indulging, attractive and successful. Whereas the preaching of the cross preaches self-sacrifice, submission and dependency. Our hearts should be overwhelmed with love and compassion as we look at the perishing rather than with disdain and hatred. As you and I look out at our, our, our society, and, and there are things that the sin we should hate, we should hate sin, but we shouldn't respond in hatred to those who are living in sin, who see our message as foolish.
We need to evaluate our own lives and see if we're, and, and one way we can do this, if I were to put out a survey to each one of us this morning with one question, how can we grow our church? How would you respond to that question? I've sat in circles with and, and, and trying to answer these questions. And you know what it happens a lot of times? Well, I've done this, we've done this and it doesn't work. And we've done this thing and we've done this thing and, and this thing. It's what a lot of the conversations end up being. And a lot of times it's because we're using our own human wisdom to see the church grow. Say, well, then why are we doing and encouraging these Bible studies? Because you know what the Great Commission tells us to do? Make disciples. We don't want a program of a bunch of people sitting in rooms talking about stuff. We desire to see a culture in a church that is about Great Commission living, about preaching the message of the cross. And the foolishness of the world around us, whether it be at your job place or at your home, it shouldn't discourage you from preaching the message of the cross. When was the last time you gave the gospel to an unsaved person? When was the last time you generated a relationship with your unsaved neighbor and tried to have them in your home? It's okay if they think you're weird. We are, or we should be, based on this text. We need to be realizing that man's wisdom, they don't see it as making sense. But there is hope to the believing. We need to, as believing, take that hope and give it to those who are perishing. So that the Spirit of God can take that message and begin to enlighten them and show them the, the truth of the gospel of why Christ was crucified. And though it doesn't make sense in their own minds, it, is, it makes sense to God because God loves them. It doesn't need to make sense. That's what Paul's saying. It doesn't ha- it's not going to make sense. God's ways and thoughts are not the same as ours. That doesn't mean we become pragmatic as a church and we start to throw out the message of the gospel because when we start doing that, we're no longer, we're doing it what? According to our wisdom and not God's wisdom, not the message of the cross. If I were to ask for a raise of hands on how many of us would love to see this auditorium full, I would hope all of our hands would go up. (laughs) But the next question I have is how much do you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? Just because they think that our message is foolish doesn't mean we don't give it to them. God hasn't given us an option on that. See, no other message in the world can save. The message according to the world is scandalous, Repugnant, revolting, 
But for us who believe, it's the power of God. We need to be confidently preaching the cross because the cross powerfully defeats human wisdom. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, this text, you share with us the difference between your wisdom and ours. And Lord, according to our wisdom, what you did for us on the cross doesn't make sense. But it is nonetheless true. And Lord, I pray that we as a church, rather than being discouraged by all of this, would be encouraged. That you would help us to live lives that seek to be heralding the cross. That we wouldn't back down even in the midst of mocking and scorn and ridicule. But that we would, in your character, as you have laid out in Scripture, proclaim the wonderful truth of your word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for this. In your name we pray, amen.